thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love for us. Thank you for what Jesus Christ has done. Thank you for the finished work. Thank you for our burdens being lifted. Thank you for wisdom and help today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, rejoice. Thank you, singers and musicians. Remember, at 1 o'clock today, we start our healing service. And so please uh, spread the word, bring people who are sick and hurting. I will be ministering healing at the 1 o'clock service. But right now, are you ready for some teaching? Are you ready for something good? All right. I want to talk to you today about something that I think is very helpful and an issue where we can easily become confused. I'm simply talking about how God works with people. Maybe move that a little bit because it's kind of how God works with people. Because we may say, well, I, I know how God works with people. Well, sometimes I think uh, misunderstandings can creep in and it's very very important to know how God works with us so that we can work with God. We have sang some beautiful songs here today about how we are surrounded by God's grace. We are under that uh, you know, umbrella of God's grace. We are under a cascade of his love and mercy. And it's true, it's coming to us from every angle. But how does God work with us in that? And so sometimes we talk a lot about how God is sovereign, God is our king, God is majestic. I suppose to some it sounds like God is a dictator. God does whatever he wants. And so I want to bring something to your attention today. God does not do control or coercion. God doesn't do control or coercion. Now it's true in the context of all of history that Christ permeates everything. Christ is before all things. We have talked about that. I'll talk about that in, in services to come. And at the end of time, everything is put under Christ. That's very majestic. That's very sovereign. That's very powerful. But I'm talking about our individual life. I'm talking about dealing with us right now while we are here. And I'm saying God works with us in a voluntary participation. God does not do control or coercion. So let me give you four simple statements to underscore this. Number one is God permits. You're in charge. God permits you and I to do all kinds of things. If we choose to jump off the CN Tower and violate the laws of nature, no one is going to stop you. You'll be allowed to do it. When Adam, in the story of the Garden of Eden, walked away, God was there. God was reaching to him, but God didn't stop him. Any more than when the prodigal asked for the money to go into a far-off country, the father was there, but he didn't stop him. In fact, the father financed the trip. He gave him the money. So God permits. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 20. And verse 25, where it says, The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. So Jesus is saying, in the world system, if you're someone great, you just boss people around. You tell them it's my way or the highway. I'm the boss, I'm the king, I'm the dictator in this country. And if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm sending you to jail or I'm going to have you executed. And Jesus said, you know, that's how it works. But that's not the way he says it works in my kingdom. My father's kingdom doesn't work that way. No, God permits things. Israel wanted a king and God says it's not good for you to have a king. Well, they say, well, all the other countries have a king. Well, it's not good for you. Your king is going to take a lot of taxes. He's going to make you servants. And they said, well, we still want a king, God. We don't care what you want. We want a king. And God says, go ahead. Here's your king. In fact, I'm even going to bless him a little bit for you. See, everybody say, God permits. Paul understood this because he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's saying, I could have been. Because when 
Jesus gave me the heavenly vision on the road to Damascus, I had the option of saying no. That's just the way God is. God permits things. When Jesus came to uh, Nazareth, it says, Mark 6, 6, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He didn't say he wouldn't or he was delaying it. He says he couldn't. In other words, Jesus Christ had limited himself to whatever they were willing to do. So there wasn't anybody in Nazareth willing to cooperate. And he marveled. I wanted to do so much. But, you know, you didn't want, so I, I let you have your way. God permits. Jesus said, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you didn't want to. So, 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 have it your way. God permits this. This goes against this faulty sovereignty thinking, oh, whatever God wants is going to happen. Yes, at the end of time, everything will be put under Christ and God will be all in all. But I'm talking about where you are right now. You know, if you want to be miserable, you can be. We can pray all we want for every president and missionary to lift off of you, but you can simply be miserable if you want to. If you want to be stingy with God, you can be. If you want to be whatever you want to be. You want to be mad? You want to go and smack someone in the face? Probably go to jail? You can do it. Nobody's going to stop you. Why are you looking at me like that? Well, he said, God, he said, work. Yeah, God, he said, work. Here's what it says in Philippians 2.11. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Let me add a verse that's kind of deals with the same subject, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So what's it saying here? It's saying you're in charge. You decide whether the peace of God will rule or not. You work out your own salvation. You're in charge. But do it respectfully. Do it with fear and trembling. Respect yourself. Respect yourself too much to start every morning with three donuts. Have a little self-respect. Take a course. Study. Respect that God gave you a mind. But if you don't want to, that's fine. God's not going to force you. I was telling a friend of mine today, you need to eat real food. Don't buy things in plastic wrappers that are just as fresh three years from now as they were when you bought it. It's dead. You're eating dead things. But if you want to eat dead things, God is not going to stop you. He's not sending some mighty anointing angel to change your mind. He says, go ahead and do it. This is going real good. But God is at work. He's, he's working inside of you. His peace is there to be a gauge. He's working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Oh, he's at work. He loves you. You're surrounded by God's grace. A beautiful song we sang today. It's awesome, but what you do with it is up to you. I'm saying respect yourself a little bit. God's given you talent. Are you with me? So, so some people say, well, I just thought God was going to direct my path. I know there's a favorite verse of Scripture for many, embroidered in people's pillows, is, is Proverbs 3, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That is indeed a beautiful scripture. But even that scripture doesn't say that God is going to decide your path. He's going to direct it. That's right. He said, working you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He, he's, putting, he, he's putting either unrest or peace in your heart. He doesn't decide. And furthermore, like all old covenant scriptures, this is conditional. It is trust with all your heart. That might cause some to fall between the cracks. Lean out on your own understanding, ever. That might cause a few more to fall between the cracks. In all your ways, not some ways, not most ways, acknowledge him. Some more might fall between the cracks. And he'll direct your path. Well, you know, obviously, let me just be as blunt to say this. Obviously, the man who wrote this, Solomon, it didn't work for him. Why are you looking at me like that? The Bible tells us it didn't work for him. 
He himself couldn't live up to that. After all, he married a thousand women. Are you saying that the Lord directed him to marry a thousand women? Oh, now some of you are even more confused. That's why you come to church, so I can mess with you a little bit because you think you know everything. I said, obviously it didn't work. You say, well, he's the wisest of all people here. God gave him more wisdom than anybody else. But what did he do with it? He married a thousand women. Are you saying that's the wisdom of God? Now, now you're really getting nervous. You say, where are we going with this? Well, we're not going anywhere in particular. We're just here right now. So I, I love the Proverbs, so I quote from the Proverbs. But you know, some people say, oh, read a proverb a day, because there's 31 of them, so you could read one a month. No, I don't recommend that. Read the Proverbs at most every two years or so. Because it didn't even work for the guy who, who wrote them. Are you with me? So it's good, it's true, it's true. If you trust Reader's Digest version is basically saying that people are subject to bondage all their lives. And when the Bible speaks of bondage, it generally in the New Testament is speaking of religious bondage. The, the, the bondage of being enslaved to a religious system where you try to live up to certain qualifications, but you find yourself perpetually unable to live up to that. And you are in bondage on a treadmill to nowhere trying to live up to it. And why are we on that treadmill? Why are we in that bondage? It says here, because of the fear of death. People are afraid of dying. That's universal. Everywhere you go in the world, people are afraid of dying. And that's why they stick with a religion that they can't live up to. Because it's their, it's their last best hope, they think. You know, because I'm going to die one day. But then he says, just like we have flesh and blood, God came in flesh and blood. He participated with us that he in flesh and blood, not God from on high, but God Emmanuel in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus, he might defeat him that has the power of death, that is the devil. And so our message is death has been defeated. The devil has been defeated. That's the gospel message. And it didn't happen from up on high. It happened through God in flesh and blood. The first Adam had flesh and blood. The last Adam had flesh and blood. The first Adam failed. The last Adam won an everlasting victory. I mean, we could go on about this for a long time, that God participates. That's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are about. 
That's what healing ministry is about. But I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Let me get to my next point. God partners. God partners with people. He participates, but he partners. God is looking for human partners. Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And so, according to the power of faith and love and grace that is working in us, God is looking for people who have that power working in them. And we all can. The grace of God is surrounding us. It's all around us. But we can walk away from it, or we can say yes to it. In Nazareth, when Jesus came there, there was no one in the whole town who wanted to cooperate. Jesus came by the roadside, and there was a blind beggar saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was, he was, he said, I'm available. I'm cooperating. And then Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me, come to me. And he threw away his beggarly robe and he came. He was cooperating. The woman with the issue of blood, she pressed through and touched the hem of his garment. She, the grace of God was there. Jesus Christ was there. Anyone could have touched Jesus, but she did it. She did it. On the day of Pentecost, there was 120 people in the upper room. Where were all the 500 they were reportedly following Jesus. They were probably some of Tim Hortons. Some slept in. Some went with Pastor Dean to Starbucks. Some, some were in the gym. Some didn't feel led to come. They didn't feel the timing was right. I don't know. There were 380 people who could have been there, should have been there, but they weren't there. But there was 120 who were there. Are you with me? They said, I, I, I'm going. When the ten lepers were cleansed, they were all ten under the grace of God. All ten of them were healed, but only one said, I want to be a partner. I want to go further. So he went back to say thank you, and you know, he received such a great blessing. This is all over the Bible. You, you see, even when it looks like there was no human involvement, there was. Even the blind man, born blind in John chapter 9, who arguably couldn't see Jesus with his eyes because he was born blind. So Jesus initiated everything. The disciples were arguing, well, is he blind because of his sin, because of his parents' sin? You know, they were, they were looking at that aspect of it. And Jesus comes and he spits in the mud and puts clay on the man's eyes. He said, what? He didn't ask for that? No. But then Jesus said, now you go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The only thing we know about the Pool of Shalom, other than that, is that one time a big tower fell down and killed 18 people. So I don't even know if you want to go to the Pool of Shalom, but Jesus is saying, go, go someplace where you're not necessarily uh, feeling as easy. It was a little awkward for you to go, but go there. So Jesus is saying, I need your cooperation. I have put my saliva, saliva in the Middle East, you know, is a picture of life. We know that today because we do a DNA test with saliva. And so Jesus put his life on his eyes. His grace was on that blind man. But even with that, he's saying, what are you going to do about it? I'm asking you, go and wash yourself. Well, Jesus, can't you wash me? No, I want you to do that yourself. I want you to partner with me. See, see it seems God limits himself in your life here on earth now to what you are willing to cooperate with God. If you're willing to partner with God. There's no limit to where we can go in any area of life. How many want a limitless life? Come on. You want to live the unlimited life? Well, how far are you willing to go? It's not a matter of God. How much are you willing to do? He has no limit. How far are you willing to go? This is so, one of the stories that I often think about when I meditate on this truth is the story in, in Acts chapter 10 about Cornelius. Because we really see it there. I'm going to read it to you. Cornelius saw clearly a in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up uh, for a memorial before God. Now send men to Jaffa and send for Simon, whose name is Peter. He is lodging with, with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
By the way, when you come with me to Israel, I'll take you exactly to that house. Right there. And he says, he, this Simon, whose surname is Peter, he will tell you what you must do. It always strikes me so interesting. So many people want angels. Oh, I want the angels to minister. And angels are ministering spirits. But here the angel has shown up to Cornelius. But the angel doesn't tell him anything really about how salvation comes or God working in his life. All the angel says is, I have some humans. You need to hook up with some humans. Two guys by the name of Simon. One is Simon Peter and the other one is Simon the Tanner. They just had the same first name. And those two are going to help you. I'm saying like if I had been Cornelius, I would have said, Angel, aren't you right from the throne of God? Can't you give me whatever I need right now? I'm ready. Pour it on. The angel says, no, no. I just told you that you need human partners. You, you need to hook up with humans. There are humans who are going to show you the way of salvation. You know, for some folks, they say, oh, I release the angels to bring testimony of the gospel to my relatives. I release the angels to work on all my office workers. No, God wants you. He's looking for partners. Come on, somebody say yes. I'm willing to be a partner with God. You see, it seems that God partners with people who are available, yes, but people who use what they have. We're always looking for what we don't have. You know, in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, why is it that Jesus works through the boy with the five loaves and two fish? I'll tell you this. Every disciple mentioned in that story, whether Philip or Andrew, every one of them, they are consumed with what, what they didn't have. They just look at what, you know, if, if we had 200 denarii, that's like, that's like 200 days labor, that would be like $30,000. If we had $30,000, we don't, but if we did, that wouldn't be enough. And, 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 and look at this, we don't have very much. All the disciples did was they looked at what they didn't have. But there was a little boy who had not been walking with Jesus. He says, I got something. I got five loaves and two fish. That's why the boy becomes the hero of the story, because he was willing to release whatever little he had. People say, oh, I just pray that God will speak to some billionaire or God will do this or God will send money into the trunk of your car. No, you know, God works with available people. He, yeah, you're in charge. The Holy Spirit will help you. And then I say, do something big enough in your life for the Holy Spirit to be involved. Do something that is outside of yourself. Say, my God is so big, I want my partnership to go beyond my natural ability. I want to do something so big that the Holy Spirit gets involved. Now, I know, I know I'm speaking to people across, whether it's our TV audience or here, wherever. Some, some people have financial means, beautiful. Others don't. Maybe you're like that boy with five loaves and two fish. You know, I... I grew up in a home, and I can say one thing. I grew up in a home. That's, that's, that's a deep revelation. But in, in the home I did grow up in, uh, generally speaking, the months were always too long. We would have been fine financially in our home if every month was only 23 days. We would have just done great. But it was always that the months were too long. There wasn't enough money for the month. Are you with me? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. And, and you don't want to tell the person sitting beside you because the person sitting beside you thinks you are super rich. You're just rolling in it. You're, you're, just, you're just like a multi-millionaire, billionaire. They, they think that, so don't raise your hand for anything. I'm just saying, I can tell you now with a hindsight, I grew up in a home like that. It was too much month. It was sure as anything, 23rd, 24th. You know, uh, we, we got to kind of squeeze through to payday. I'm just looking at you. See, God works through people who face such difficulties. God works through five-by-two people. Maybe you're a five-by-two person. Five-by-two. You know, that's how we built this ministry. We, we haven't had any large donors in World Impact Ministries. We have had 
far in between some huge donation comes in. But by and large, you know what? The whole thing is run by five by two people. We're just normal people who say, my God is so big. If I release my five by two, I can get 12 baskets left over. Uh, you, you see, God likes to work this way because he gets the praise. Have you ever thought of Elijah? He was in a drought. It was a terrible situation. People were starving. And God is going to supply Elijah's need. And how does he do it? First of all, he sends him to a brook of water. And he says in 1 uh, Kings 17.4, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew theology and religion, the raven was an unclean bird. He's saying, God, we are starving, and you have an unclean bird. Couldn't you have sent one of the clean animals carrying that T-bone steak in its beak, dropping it on Elijah's bald head? Well, I'm glad it was a dirty raven. By the way, ravens, they make terrible, ugly noises. I like birds in general, but they're not my favorite. You say, well, couldn't God do better? God likes to use ravens. Because maybe you are at a workplace where your boss is swearing a blue streak and telling dirty jokes, and you say, oh, I wish I could be working in the church. Everything is so holy in the church. But you see, God works through dirty ravens. Come on, tell somebody, God works through dirty ravens. And, and God will work in that place where, oh, there's so much. People are swearing, and I'm so holy. I can't, oh, oh. Well, that's why you come here on Sunday morning, uh, to just know that, that, that your Christ in you is bigger than that. Uh, and the story of Elijah is that God will use some dirty ravens uh, to provide for your need. Come on. And then it says the brook dried up. I guess the ravens keep coming, but the brook's dried up. And what did God say? He says a few verses later, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And then we find out the widow is starving. So I add a skinny, starving widow about to die. That's who God is going to use to meet my needs. Doesn't God know we have a famine? Doesn't God know that people are hungry? I mean, you could have, at least God could have said, I have a secret bakery. And I'll tell you, there's so much good bread there. We have some sandwiches. We, I preserved this for you. This is, there's a place of abundance for you. No, there is a skinny, soon to die, starving, responsible for a boy that's soon to die, widow, and she's the key. Are you listening to me? See, well, I just want God to do something big. I want God to do something. I want God to do something awesome. I, I just need a breakthrough. Well, this is the breakthrough. A skinny, starving widow. He said, why God? Well, I'll read to you out of the scripture why. 1 Corinthians 1.26. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, the skinny widow qualifies in this group. Not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things, low kind of things <laughs> of the world and the things that are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no flesh would glory in his presence. I mean, if God had preserved a rich baker or a rich butcher for Elijah, what glory is it in that? But God takes that which is nothing so that he will get all the praise. Oh, don't think anything is too small. This is how God works. This is how God partners. He partners with people who don't have very much. 
Now he can partner with you if you have a lot to, but he partners with you when you don't have very much because then you know when the increase happens, you say, it was God. This has come to me. It's not my own hand that has gotten me this success. It is my God. I give the praise to my God. I love to tell, you know, my first financial venture was in postcards. I was 14 years old. I was newly born again, and I bought postcards. And I sold them for twice of what I paid for them. At least I was smart enough to look for a 100% increase, so that was a good start. I don't know where I learned that from. It wasn't my mom and dad, but somehow it came to me I should have 100%. Come on, everybody say 100%. So I bought postcards, and I sold them for twice. And what I did is, God, I said, you help me to sell postcards. I don't know why I ever thought that, but he helped me sell postcards. And I'm going to give everything I make from those postcards into a gospel ministry in Japan. Because I heard a lot of people in Japan didn't know the gospel. So that's how I started. It's a good start. 100% on postcards. Come on. But it wasn't any. When I look back on it, I think about how pathetic it was, actually. Because I bought the postcards for five cents each, and I sold them for ten. But I don't like to say that because I like to say 100%. It sounds much more impressive. But the truth was, I bought them for five cents, and I sold them for ten. So how many know it took a lot of postcards to make up even one dollar? Are you with me? So I'm thinking, I didn't do much good, did I? But that never struck me at that time. I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm doing something for the gospel here. I'm, I'm a mover and a shaker with Christ in his gospel. I, it's only when I look back in hindsight and I said, five cents? It's, it's only because you're my church family. I admit this. Oh, whoops, I'm on Facebook too. And this might go on television. But, but, but it was five cents, but it was 100% profit. Are you with me? Well, I'll tell you. I, I, I have millions of dollars go through these hands for missions and the gospel every year. You got to start somewhere. How many are ready to start somewhere? God starts with you five by two. People say, how do you start in your ministry? I started with the A team. The A team? At least it wasn't the B team. I started with the A team, which was our expression for the downtown alcoholics in my hometown. We call them the A-team. There was always a group on the, the city where I live. We had provided park benches, and every morning at noon, there were people still sleeping on the park benches, drunk out of their mind. That's why I launched my ministry. I figure I have a captive audience. Most of them aren't going anywhere. Some of them are sleeping, but that's all right. Nobody knows this. They look like they're slain under some power. They're lying there, and I started to preach to the A-team. I said, I couldn't do, why, why couldn't you do that? What compelled me? The love of Christ compelled me. Start with what you have. I can say, oh, I don't have a church. I don't have any. Oh, nobody wants to hear me. Uh, 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 uh. No, I have the 18. The 18. It's, it even sounds great. I launched my ministry with the 18. You, you get the picture. I mean, there they were. And I told you one time, somebody woke up. And he came and hugged me and cried, and then he vomited on my coat. I, I don't know. It's true. I had vomit on. I said, well, I wish he would have stayed on the bench. It was good. It was good for me. Are you still here? You got to start. God, God partners with people who use what they have. My goodness. We, we, we're building a gospel study center over in this corner of the building putting in high-tech multimedia stuff, a lecture hall is going to open five Sundays from today. That's right. And we're launching our Global Gospel Institute. You know, I've trained a lot of people. I've trained over 380,000 pastors worldwide. I mean, that's by actual count. We, we have 3,500 graduates from a Bible school, and now we're launching a Global Gospel Institute online to touch people of so many different languages. And this will be the nerve center of it over here. Because I believe I have something. The little I started with, a few postcards, and a guy vomiting on my new coat. 
Well, I'm taking it. I've been taking it to the world for over 40 years, and I'm taking it to thousands of recruits. I, I pour my life into other people. You know, just at 1029 this morning, I walked in. I walked in at 1029 here to the service. I received a video at 1029 because one of the people who had never held a meeting in his life up to three months ago, he just finished under the auspices of this ministry. I've been training him. He just finished his second campaign in his life. He sent me a video. It's only a minute long. If you have it, can you run with it right now? I'll just wait for it. I got this. Hello, hello, this is Jacob here from World Impact Ministries. We have just finished the last service here in Mapuro Jaya. Thousands of people have come out and received forgiveness of sins, and hundreds have been healed. Just look at the stage right here. These are the people that have been healed. So many people, we can't even... And count them all. We don't have time to go over all the testimonies. It's late into the night. It's 10 p.m. right now. We started at 5 p.m. And the healing testimonies are continuing still. And I want to thank all of you who has made this possible. Thank you for allowing me uh, to preach right here. And as you can tell, my, my voice is totally soft. But God has done something great in this city. So thank you so much, World Impact Ministries. We love you. And from Mapuro Jaya, everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. That, that's what we've been doing. That happened today. That's today. Came right now. All right. That, 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 that's good. You, you heard the man. That happened today because it's now evening time in Indonesia. It's already midnight there. So that was his night. That was tonight, Indonesian time. Same date as we are right here. All I heard from this young guy is uh, for the last day, I can't preach. I'm too, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I said, take my sermons. You've heard me preach my sermons. I said, they, they have lifetime guarantee. Just take my sermons. This is what Brother Dean does. Dean here is different than this guy. Dean is an excellent preacher. But you know, it's one thing to be an excellent youth preacher and a Sunday morning preacher, but to stand in front of Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims like I make them do, I said, take my sermons. And he calls me and says, I took your sermon. I took sermon this one. I said, preach mine. And then you can add a little to them and subtract a little bit and make them your own and pray through. That's what this guy does. I can just guarantee you. I pretty well know what he preached tonight because I preached it 500 times myself. I said, just take my sermons. They work. And just go and do So we are raising up hundreds. We are raising up thousands of people. We are expanding. It, it, it needs more stadiums, more follow-up, more workers. I wanted to see, I have three other people right now beyond these two. We're ready to add them on. These guys don't have them. He doesn't have the money to do that. I said to him, you've got to raise something yourself. I said, you raise a few thousand yourself. And I said, I'm going to ask the partners of World Impact Ministries to kick in the rest. Because somebody believed in me when I was 19 years old. When I was 19, somebody believed in me. I, you know, somebody's got to believe in you. And so that's why we are launching this. Are you here? Are you hearing this? That's what's happening. You can enroll. We'll send you out. We'll send you out and do what we're doing for this guy. And, and oh, give Jesus praise. Give Jesus praise. He's 20, what are, how old is he? 26 years old? 25, 26? I mean, he's a senior compared to when I started. But anyhow, he's got started. You say, well, I'm 65. It's not too late. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not too late. Uh -uh. Some of you look, turn up the heat a bit. They look like they're freezing in here. Come on now. Are you with me here? The thing is, you got to start with what you have. If all you have is some postcard, start with that. You know, it says, Exodus 4, 2, the Lord said to Moses, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. I've heard preachers preach about Moses' rod and the encarvings and how ornate it was. I don't know. I think it was just an old stick. An old stick. Some ornate rod. We don't know anything about that. But I know that God uses old stick in the mud to receive his grace. Come on now. I, I know that that stick, when it had to, it became a serpent. And then it turned back to a stick. I know that that rod, that stick was raised across the Red Sea and Israel walked on dry land. I know that that stick was there pointing the way as millions of people walked out of slavery into freedom because it tells us God can take an old washed up stick that's not good for much and he can make it into an instrument in his powerful hand to shake nations. Everybody say, I'm ready. 
use, if, if anything, the parable of the talents tells us everybody's got something. One talent, two talents, five talents. Don't let anybody talk you out of your talent. And then something God gives us, time. He says in the parable of the talent, and the master went away for a long time. Time. You have some time. Some have more time, some have less time. You have some time. You have something. Don't, don't be talked out of that. You have something. You have a resource, a skill to be maximized where you are in your life. If you're a young person just finishing high school, if you're a person, you know, up in your 20s, 30s, 40s, if you're a retired person, you have something. You have some experience. You have some care. You have some love in you. You have some gifting in you. We have a plethora of opportunities here. Plethora of, of, of things to pursue. You, you have time. Put that time to work. Oh, you know, when I was in Ethiopia last time, I, I don't know, the more I see Christ in me, the more I love animals. You know, I kind of love animals. I feel bad for animals when I, if they're being mistreated. So I was going to the pastor's seminar on the last day in one of the cities in Ethiopia. And there was a donkey, a gold donkey. And he was sick, and it had collapsed on the street. I felt really bad. I said, this donkey is dying. I hope somebody helps him. So I was actually said to the driver, slow down the car. I was in the back seat. I said, let me look at this. I feel bad for the donkey. Then I went to the seminar. I preached for three hours straight. Aren't you glad I don't do that here every morning? That's for the pastors. Three hours straight. Then we were back and I had forgotten the donkey. I drove back to say, donkey's still sick. They're close to death. They're sick. Nobody took care of the donkey. I felt bad for him. So, but you know, I understand this can happen. People have other priorities. I'm not condemning anybody. But then when I read about Samson, that when he was surrounded by a great enemy so big it was like God said to him Samson what do you have in your hand and he said all I have is a jawbone of an ass that's King James for donkey a jawbone of an ass think about that you know that jawbone of that ass it had been a full fledged big old donkey that carried goods for its master probably he rented out his donkey, maybe carried the master himself. The donkey had brought a lot of gain, but the donkey got old. And who cares about an old and dying donkey? And so the donkey had died by the roadside. And the hyenas came, and the wild dogs and the shackles, they all came, because by nature they lived by that, so they were just chewing off the bones. And then I suppose there were some bones left and they chewed that too. So the only thing that's left of this at one time valuable donkey is the jawbone of the ass. Can you see it? There was a jawbone of an ass, it says in the King James Bible. And Samson says, I have that. And God says, I will work through that. I will take that that was once a powerful, valuable, contributing donkey that brought much gain to his master, but now has been discarded, too old, forgotten, devoured, been chewed at, been crunched, been beaten up. And my power is going to go through that jawbone. You know, I, I just... That makes me think about how big is our God. I, I hope nobody feels like that. But should anybody ever feel, I have been washed up. I have been knocked on the side of the road. People have stepped on me, kicked me, beaten me up. I've been devoured. I want to tell you, in the hand of God, you become an instrument of great victory. God is not finished with you. I tell you, God partners with you. 
So that's what I'm saying. God doesn't do control or coercion. God permits, participates, and partners with willing people. His grace is there. But I have one more little part of this. God not only partners, God pursues. In Luke 19 it says, it is an activity of God that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, going after, pursuing that which is lost. That was spoken of the man Zacchaeus, who arguably had blown it. And he's there, he's hiding, he feels unworthy, he doesn't feel qualified. And Jesus comes, but he wants to see Jesus, but, but he feels he cannot get in the front row. He, he's kind of hiding, and he's, he's, he's hiding up in a tree, and he hides behind people, and he doesn't say. And then Jesus stops, and he sees him, and he says two things. He says, he, pointed to Zacchaeus, he's a son of Abraham. And then he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. What does it mean? He's saying, you all think he's a lost scoundrel. You think that he's hopeless. You don't think he belongs. But I'm telling you, he is a son of Abraham. You have ostracized him because of his sin. You have said he's not qualified. But Jesus says, he's a son of Abraham. And I seek for the lost. This is unwrapping an imagery of God that is so awesome. Think of the most valuable thing you could have. To, most, to many people, you know, if you lose your phone, your whole life is on your phone. So if you lost your phone, your phone, you just, I got to find it, I got to find it, right? If you lost a pen or if you lost just a pair of socks, it's not the end of the world, but you lose your phone, right? You move everything to find that. That's what God is saying. He says, you don't think he's worth much. I think he's worth so much. I, I want to tell you, as far as God is concerned, Zacchaeus, you are lost, but I'm here. I have found you. You're mine. You belong in this community. You belong with this people. You belong with God. That's our message. That's my message to you today, whatever way you're watching, if you're here in the service. You belong. You belong in a church like this. You belong with the family of God. Maybe some say, well, you have to straighten yourself up. You have to pull up your socks before you can actually get involved. No, you belong. You, 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 you're a child of the king. You're a child of God. Don't let anybody say you have to fix yourself first and then eventually you can kind of move in with other people. You belong. God always counted on you. He's been pursuing you. He has come to seek and save you because you're so incredibly valuable that the God who owns everything, the God who's the head of the whole universe, he says you are so precious that something is missing if you are not there. God pursues. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit uh, touching our hearts, moving on our hearts. We give you praise, Lord. I pray that you'll do right now for people what we cannot do for ourselves. I pray that your Holy Spirit will touch us. And I thank you that you're pursuing and you're compelling us. And we don't want to say no. We could, but we don't want to. We want to say yes. So I want to ask while every head is bowed, if you say, I need to have assurance that my sins are forgiven i need to be restored to god i walked away maybe you say i've i've tried but i walked away maybe you say i i have never received christ or maybe you say i've tried and i've prayed a hundred times but i feel like i'm that i'm just thrown by the roadside i wonder what's the use what's the point i'll tell you jesus christ is here to seek and to save he loves you he's calling on you there's a knocking on your door to your heart right now. And I pray that you will say yes. You don't have to. You could say no. You could shake it off. You could walk out, out of here and say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Not now. You can have all, you could have a hundred excuses. I realize that. And God wouldn't stop you. Our ashes won't stop you. Nobody will look down on you. But we have the opportunity to say yes. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be restored. So while every head is bowed, if you're here right now, you say, Peter, I want to be included in this prayer because I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute. You say, I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to be restored to God. I want to confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. While every head is bowed, if you want to be included, would you just give me a signal by lifting your hand right now? How many would say today, I want to be included? God bless you over here. God bless this young man. God bless this man over here. Who else says, I want to be included? God bless you over here. God bless you and you. I see your hands. Who else says, yes, I want to be included? 
lifted up way up high right now. That's so beautiful. Can we all stand all over the Toronto Pavilion? Let's all stand together right now. Those of you who are watching me on Facebook Live at this very moment, you have the opportunity to send messages right now on Facebook and, and somebody will see that and bring it to me either right in the service or after the service, but respond right now. I want everyone to pray. Would you say like this? Would you say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus Christ who took my sins, who rose again, who conquered death. I don't have to be afraid of death. Thank you for this salvation. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Come and live in me. Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise right now. Oh, go ahead and clap your hands for Jesus. Oh, come on. Can we give a real clap for Jesus? Thank you, Lord. I, I'm going to do one other thing because I feel the Spirit of God is moving me to do something. I know we have a healing service at one, but, but I, I just know that. I know that. But stay with me right now. I want to say, first of all, if you pray, we welcome you. You belong in this family. You belong here. You belong here. You don't have to qualify yourself. You just have to say, Jesus, come and live through me. There's no self-qualification good enough anyhow. So we welcome you. Pick up. Uh, I know at our welcome center there's some books and materials there. Carry you. Make sure that they're there right. And, and, and just look at that. Would you take your seat for a moment right now? Dean, I want you to do something for me. Ushers don't know about this, but you know you know where Pastor Nathan has those special envelopes with the red print. Would you go and get a bunch for me? Thank you. Ushers, you don't know what I'm going to do. I tell you, I, feel, I haven't done this for, I don't know, a year or two in this church. We're going to receive a second offering right now. I feel the, the, the stirring in my heart. You know, I want you to make a seed offering today into what we're doing to train workers to finish the task Jesus gave us. There's almost 8 billion people in the world. And I decided at my high elevated age, because I'm getting older, I'm going to spend the next 30 years to raise up as many as I can. I'm going to raise up as many workers from the Chinese world, from Africa, from Indonesia, from South America, from Europe. We already have many that we raised up in Europe that are going to the world to convince the world with signs and wonders and with a clear preaching of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why we are building the library over here. That's why we are building the lecture hall. You're going to see them when we open it on September 22nd, five weeks from now. We will open that up. You found them, Dean Glenn whatever your name is, Dean. Did you? No, Glenn is over here. I get confused about who is who. Glenn, Dean. Uh, wait, wait a moment, Glenn. Glenn, I mean, Dean. Dean, wait a moment. <laughs> wait a moment there. Uh, um, I don't want you to give out any envelopes here right now. God put this in my heart. God spoke to me that 2019, he gave, well, gives me a lot of warning because I'm a little thick-headed. So he gives me a warning when I'm going to do things. He talked to me, talked to me about 11 months ago that we're going to expand and not much. We've expanded a bit in the beginning, but now we're really stepping out. And there are translators working right now on our scripts. We've been filming here. We're ready to go with module one of the Global Gospel Institute. Module two will be ready in October. Module three will go out in December. And module four will be ready in, in, in January 2020. And we are raising up workers and we are helping them. We are believing in them. They have to believe a little bit themselves, but I'm getting, getting them to exercise and train their faith. And we are helping them. We're helping them. If we didn't help Jacob, he had, didn't have the financial means to do what he did. He raised a little bit. He got some of his friends to give us. I said, Jacob, you got to exercise your own faith, but I'm going to exercise my faith. I believe in for a thousand workers. We, I, I believe you'll see more and more in our magazine. You'll see associates having campaigns all over the world, and we're going to see millions of people harvested. We've already seen millions. We're going to see more millions. Are you ready for this? Or do you want a nice, just a little, little country church? Little country church, little neighborhood fellowship. You know, come, come to the church in the country. Come, come to the church in the vale. Well, well, you know, we want to be more than the church in the vale. We are taking this gospel to the world. Come on. And God has anointed us in places where people don't dare go. The majority of the earth's population are not Christians. 
They're Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims, and we are there on the front line. And so one lady in our church, she's right here, beautiful lady, she touched my heart. She said, she came, I don't want to say it was a very large gift. I don't want to say how much it was. But, but it still only goes a little ways towards this. We need help. We need help. Be putting in the nicest multimedia. You'll come in there. It will scream at you that this is the greatest cause in all the world. Amen. Don't go in early. It's going to be five weeks from now. We're going to have the opening Sunday for that. But I want everybody to join in. The whole, we'll say, what's that whole project? To launch all that, I can tell you, it's north of $100,000. But we're doing it, and we've been saving a little bit here, a little bit there. And thank God to this one precious person who's given. But I want to open up to everybody to make a special seed. I know it's not Mission Sunday. This is just to help us finish this five weeks from now. Already a lot is happening, and we'll be training people. The chairs are coming in for the lecture hall. How many want to be a part of mobilizing an army of people for the gospel? How many want to be a part of that? You don't have to. How many want to be a part of it? Give a shout if you want to be a part of it. You don't have to. Nobody's forcing you. Nobody's coming to look at your checkbook. Nobody's grabbing you by the throat. You can say no if you want to. I'm saying yes because I'm a partner with God in finances and I'm mightily blessed. Praise God. I'm so glad for my postcard project. I'm glad for my five cent earnings because it launched me into an understanding that my God is big. Some people have a God who's so big he's going to take them to heaven when they die. Some people have a God so big that he's going to rapture and they're going to go whoosh through the roof when that happens. But he's not big enough to give them $100 to give for the world. He's too small for that. Like, let me tell you, lift your eyes and get a bigger God. Are you with me? Now, where is Glenn and Dean? No, not Glenn, Dean. Give everybody the red envelope so we don't mix it up with the others. The red printed one. Here they come. Let's, let's, let's. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Are you feeling it up here, ladies? Are you with me? All right. I want to make sure I have the right wing here with me. All right. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Are you, are you glad that we're going for the gospel? Help us finish this. Somebody give a thousand. Somebody give five thousand. Give, give something valuable. Give something meaningful. Let's make this happen. I'm not a beggar. I'm not going to beg. My God is too big for that. Also, I'm not ashamed to ask for money. Not in the least bit. I am. A, have you ever seen a man so unashamed asking for money? Look at, look at my face. Do I look like I'm blushing? No, I'm not blushing. This is for the gospel. Let's bring it in. Bring it in in a big way. Thank you, Jesus. Look at the people are so smart. They're going to the debit machine already. They were at the debit machine before I could even say debit machine. They're over there. Are, are you ready? They didn't know this was coming. Vera is there. I can see Vera. Help. They didn't know I was going to do this. I didn't know I was going to do it myself. Thank God Dean knows where the red envelopes are. Did you get one here? Okay. Father, we thank you. Thank you for a church that's just much more than a neighborhood social club. I thank you for a church that's a nerve center to touch the world with the gospel. I thank you for what's happening. Thank you, Lord, because even the giving of these people here, the video we saw, here's another young man being launched. His life will never be the same after what his eyes have seen. And, Lord, we have a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you realize that? That young man will never be the same. What his eyes have seen will change him. His whole life will change. And you had a part of it because we took money you gave. And we said, let's sponsor this. Let's do it under World Impact Ministries so that more people can get uh, the virus, the gospel virus, and be bitten by it. I, I, I got some Chinese workers coming up, Filipino, Africans. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Many sons, women as well, women as well. Did you hear that? Women as well. I didn't say just men. I want to make sure because some people don't think right about it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I don't know what else I should say. Stand on my head. Ushers, you can come. If people have given, come, ushers, right now. Come and let, let's do something big for this gospel library research center. There will be 1,500 books in there, handpicked by me. I'm handpicking the whole thing. That's right. 
I'm picking books that changed my life, that affected me, that had a positive help. I want to put them there. I want to get it to the world. We'll be training from there through the modern technology all over the world, different languages. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's stand up and rejoice. Let's rejoice as we're giving right now. Let's rejoice.